the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome again uh, to the uh, Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, it's 94.9 FM, of course, and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, as usual, the veteran Alan Dempsey uh, does our engineering. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produced the show and does that every week for us. Uh, Dr. Robert Jeffries is with us in the first segment, senior pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas. His new book is out. Choosing the Extraordinary Life. Robert, I'm uh, delighted we can hook up here. Thanks for joining me. No, great to be back with you, Pat. Thanks. Tell me about your new book. Well, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, the subtitle is God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. And you know what I'm finding, Pat, is so many Christians uh, just don't feel like they have any real purpose in life. And uh, they're kind of like the Chicago sewer worker who was one time asked why he did what he did. He said, well, let me see. I dig the ditch to earn the money, to buy the bread, to get the strength, to dig the ditch. And, you know, that's how many people are living their lives right now. They get up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed, and repeat the cycle all over again. And I think God has more for us than this. And uh, what I'm talking about in choosing the extraordinary life, I'm actually using the story of Elijah. The Bible said Elijah was no spiritual super person. He was an ordinary person whom God used in an extraordinary way. And I uncover the seven secrets that made Elijah such an extraordinary person in his day and transfer those principles to us. And really these seven secrets, these are seven choices that we have to make if we're going to experience the extraordinary life God has for us. Secret number one, discover your unique purpose Uh, Tell us about that first secret, Robert. That is really the most foundational, Pat, of discovering our unique purpose. We all know as Christians that our general purpose is to glorify God, but specifically, how do we do that? I say that, you know, God is telling a story to the universe about his love and redemption through Christ, but he's also writing an individual story in our lives to tell his story. And I use that word story as an acrostic, S-T-O-R-Y, for the five ways to discover God's unique plan for your life. Let me just take one of them. The O in story stands for obey your passion. Many Christians don't realize one of the primary ways God leads us is through the desires that he places in our heart. You know, we think God's plan for us must be the most distasteful, unpleasant thing we could ever imagine. No, I mean, God has put in your heart a passion for sports and for broadcasting. He's put in my heart certain passions. God uses those passions to fulfill his purpose in our life. You know, the scripture says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give
give you what? The desires of your heart. So following your passions, obeying your passions is one way to begin to understand his unique plan for your life. Robert Jeffries is with us. His new book is out, and uh, we're talking about it. Secret number two, Robert. Deter- well, deter- yeah, extraordinary people determined to influence their culture. Uh, you know, uh, Elijah uh, didn't confine his message to Israelites or the believing Jews. He, he understood that God had placed him in a wicked culture uh, to be his representative. And, Pat, one of the things I'm really concerned about in today's Christian culture is we've developed a theology to cover our cowardice in confronting the culture. We say, well, we don't have a right to impose our values on anybody else. We can talk to other Christians, but we have no right to speak to the entertainment industry or to government. But you know, God is sovereign not just over the church. He's sovereign over Washington, D.C., Hollywood, California. He is subject over all of the world. And I think if we're going to be the salt and light Jesus commanded us to be, we've got to understand we've got to get out of our holy huddle. The salt has to get out of the salt shaker and penetrate the meat if it's going to delay the decay of the meat. Robert, speak King of Washington, uh, how do you feel about uh, Mr. Trump and what's going on in Washington? Are you pleased? Well, look, uh, President Trump has been a friend of mine for three years now. I was with him a couple of weeks ago, got to spend some time with him. And look, he's the first person to say, he says to me all the time, Robert, I know I'm not a perfect person. I mean, he realizes that. But I think he is the most pro-life, pro-religious liberty, pro-conservative judiciary president that we've had really in history. And uh, I think instead of criticizing the president, as some Christians seem to make their pastime, we ought to keep praying for him. Okay, we've covered secret number one, discover your unique purpose. Number two, determine to influence your culture. Secret number three, Robert, wait on God's timing. Well, that's right. You see that in Elijah's life. I mean, so many times we want to move from one big thing to the next big thing, but many times God calls us uh, to a time out. You know, after Elijah made his splash before King Ahab in 1 Kings 17, then God actually hid Elijah for three and a half years. I'm sure Elijah thought his best years were behind him. He had finished God's purpose for his life. Uh, Nobody knew where Elijah was. And yet during those three and a half years of waiting, God Uh, really taught Elijah some invaluable principles that prepared him for the future. And I just say in my book, if you're going through a waiting time, maybe your waiting time is as a mom stuck at home with some toddlers, or maybe you're in school, or maybe you're stuck in a monotonous job. Remember this, waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time if we're learning the lessons God wants us to learn. And that comes down to one word, isn't it? Patience. Well, that's right. I mean, we are so into instant success, and we want it now. But uh, look, uh, you know, uh, God, somebody said, I think one time, you know, God's plan for us is not so much microwave, but it's more like a crock pot. It's a long simmering and preparing us for what he wants us to do. Now, secret number four is simply called burn the ships, Robert. Tell us about that. Well, if you're going to have an extraordinary life, there's got to be that moment when you decide whether or not you're all in and what God's called you to do. And, of course, the burn the ships uh, phrase comes from Hernan Cortez, uh, you're very familiar with in Florida. But you might remember when the Spanish explorer landed on the beaches of Veracruz, Mexico. He knew that he and his men had 200 miles of snake-infested, cactus-filled land they had to traverse to get to Mexico's capital. And Cortez knew it 
at some point the men would be tempted to give up and turn back. So when they landed those boats on the shores of Veracruz, uh, Cortez ordered them to burn the ships, meaning that retreat was no longer an option. Mm. And I think we have to come to that point in our life, in our relationship with God, when we say, turning back is not an option. I'm going forward in what you called me to do. Elijah called for that on Mount Carmel. He said to the Israelites, he said, it's time for you to quit hesitating between two opinions. If you think Baal is God, serve him with all of your heart. But if Jehovah is God, serve him with all of your heart. I think we have to have that burn the ships moment in our lives too, Pat, if we're going to have this extraordinary life. Robert, I've often thought, and I never followed up on it, after burning the ships, what happened to Cortez? Do we know? <laughs> you know, I, I really don't know. I think he was certainly successful in his mission, uh, but... Uh, and I think his name is on some places down there in Florida. <laughs> but I think it was that burn the ships moment that really was the, the, the catalyst for his success. Secret number five, unleash the power of prayer, you tell us. That is so important if you're going to have an extraordinary life. You know, in James 5, uh, James says, The effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And in the next verse, James uses Elijah as an example of effective praying. And uh, think about it, Pat. I mean, everything he did was undergirded by prayer. You know, he prayed, and it didn't rain. He prayed again, and it did rain. He prayed a 64-word prayer, and the fire of heaven came down. And uh, I talk about the importance of learning the secret of how to pray. One of the things I say in the book is, if you want to see God do big things in your life, pray for big things in your life. My daughter and her husband went through several years and went through three miscarriages. And they were heartbroken over that, but they decided to pray for something big. They prayed for triplets, oh. one life to replace each life that was lost. And we don't have any history of triplets in our family, but last December, God gave my daughter triplets. And, uh, I mean, they're a uh, manifestation of that principle. If you want to see God do big things, pray for big things. Boy, what a family, what, what that must be like, huh? There's no way to describe it. In fact, I dedicated my book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, to my triplet grandchildren. Robert Jeffers is with us. We're talking about his book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. <clears throat> we have another segment with Robert. He's the senior pastor of the 13,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas. And uh, so stay with us. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM. And AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hear it here. Keep the faith Saturday night at midnight. If only forgetting your past was as simple as tearing up a list. Well, maybe it could be. Matthew West shares next on Keep the Faith. Bible study and today's contemporary Christian music come together so you can grow a stronger heart for God. We've got it for you here. Every Saturday night at midnight, Keep the Faith. 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word. I want you as you are, not as you ought to. Hello? Hey, I'm so glad you reached out to me. What's going on? I just don't see how my life can get any better. It's everything. It just feels like everything around me is falling apart. If something doesn't change soon, I just don't know what else I can do. You're doing something right now by talking about it. What's something you're concerned about right now? 
Faithful Counseling is here to help. Our team of licensed Christian counselors want to help you get through this. We can begin a conversation when you're ready by text or phone or even video conferencing from the comfort of your own home. I'd like to give you your first week free. Go to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. Let's talk. Go right now to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. We really want to help you. It's so easy to get started and your first week is free. Go now to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. Let us help. Hello, this is Earl Mallory, Director of Sales and Marketing for Alliance Community. Alliance Community is a Christ-centered continuing care retirement community located in the heart of beautiful downtown DeLand. Our mission is to provide an environment for our residents which allows them to live as independently as they like with guarantees to protect them of the uncertainties surrounding future health care and financial needs. Our community offers independent living, assisted living, rehab services, skilled nursing care, and Alzheimer's dementia care. For more information, visit us online at alliancecommunity.org. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Robert Jeffries is with us from Dallas. We have covered the first five secrets of Robert's new book. And now we've arrived at secret number six, learn... How to handle bad days, Robert. Well, that's right. You know, in my book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, we're looking at the life of Elijah, an ordinary person. He had doubts, discouragements, times of disobedience, and God used him, though, in an extraordinary way because of these seven principles that guided his life. And the principle you just mentioned, learn to handle bad days, is so crucial. Notice the chapter is not titled, Learn How to Avoid Bad Days, but it's Learn How to Handle Them. We all have bad days, not just 24-hour periods of time, but seasons of life in which disappointments pile on top of one another, and they can paralyze us those seasons of life if we're not careful. And Elijah had his share of bad days, you know, after his great battle on Mount Carmel. Remember, uh, he fell into a funk. He went into a depression. Uh, He wasn't phased by 800 angry prophets of Baal, but suddenly he lost perspective, and he was sent on the run by one angry female named Queen Jezebel. And I just think it's interesting that, you know, when Elijah finally came to the end of himself, he fell down and uh, just sat under that tree and said, Lord, please just take my life. I'm ready to go. And instead of chastising Elijah, uh, God ministered to him. He gave Elijah the ability to sleep. You know, my old mentor and friend Howard Hendricks used to say, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Mm. And that's true for Elijah. I mean, he knew he needed physical refreshment. Uh, I remember the angels brought him cakes to eat. Uh, That's the first instance of angels' food cake in the Bible. Uh And they ministered to him. But also, there came a time, Pat, when God said to Elijah that he needs to get out of his cave and reconnect with other people. 
You know, I find as a pastor many times uh, Christians are going through a difficult time, and they'll say to me, uh, Pastor, I'm, we're going to take some time off from church because we're going through a difficult time in our life. You know, that's the last thing somebody needs to do. Uh, David Jeremiah says, uh, the only person who thinks you ought to take time off from church when you're going through a season of difficulty is Satan. He loves to isolate Christians, attack them, and destroy them. So I'm just saying in this chapter, you know, if we're going to handle bad days, first of all, expect them. You're not going to avoid them. And then make sure during those bad seasons of time to refresh yourself physically, spiritually, and even emotionally by connecting with others. Robert, I want you to talk about secret number seven, live life with the end in view. Explain that. Well, I think extraordinary people who want extraordinary lives always have this realization that their time on earth is limited. I mean, Elijah certainly did that. Uh, He knew that uh, he was going to be caught up in the whirlwind uh, to meet God. He wasn't going to experience death, but it still meant he had a limited amount of time to make his impact for God. And that's why he poured himself into his uh, uh, mentoree, Elisha. And, you know, I've often thought, Pat, what it was like when God came and took Elijah up into the whirlwind, Mm -hmm. like many Christians will be at the rapture. Uh, He caught him up in the whirlwind. I've often wondered what Elijah must have thought of as he looked down on earth. Uh, I'm sure he saw Elisha, his mentor, uh, Reed, down there uh, that he had just left. I think he probably left this earth with a short list of regrets and a long list of people he had impacted for God. And that is a great way for us to end our lives, to be able to look back, not with no regrets, but with few regrets, that we can say, like it was said about Abraham, that we died at a ripe old age, satisfied with life. That's what God wants for each one of us, and I think that's the key for an extraordinary life. You know, I would ask people who are listening to this, I mean, to whom are you passing your faith? I mean, we've got to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. And for most of us, uh, the the primary people we're going to impact for the gospel are our own children and grandchildren that we leave behind. Robert Robert Jeffries is our guest from Dallas. Uh, Robert, uh, key word, there is a key word in this title, I think, and it's simply the word choosing. Uh, Can you expand on that word? Yes, choosing the extraordinary life is the title of the book. You you just don't fall into an extraordinary life. You just don't hope for an extraordinary life. You choose an extraordinary life. When you think about it, Pat, our lives are simply the sum total of the choices that we make. And an extraordinary life is made up of extraordinary years that are made up of months and weeks, days, and even hours. So if you want the extraordinary life, the first thing to do is to obey what you know God wants you to do next. That word next is so key. You know, God doesn't often reveal what we're to do, you know, three days from now or a year from now, but he leads us step by step. So I would just ask our listeners to consider what is one thing you know that God would want you to start doing in your life? What's something in your life that you know God wants you to stop doing? Begin there and build upon those right choices, and you'll find at the end, like Elijah, you'll be able to look back and say, thank you, God, for a truly extraordinary life. Robert, I want to go back to secret number five for a minute, Uh, unleash the power of prayer. Uh, Do you have some uh, insights, I guess the word is tips, on how to have a vibrant prayer life? 
I do. And uh, again, they emerge from Elijah's life. You know, I tell people three things to model for Elijah's life. First of all, pray honestly. We don't need to pray for what we think should be in our heart. We need to pray for what is actually in our heart. I mean, God's big enough to handle it. There's no use trying to pretend with him. We ought to be honest with God in our prayers. If we're discouraged, we need to tell him. If we need supernatural help, we need to tell him. But be honest. Secondly, be courageous in your prayers. Uh, Don't just pray for small things. Pray for big things. I mean, Elijah prayed for fire to fall down. He prayed for uh, a widow's son to be raised from the dead. We ought to pray for big things. I want to be clear. 1 John 5.14 makes it clear there's no blanket guarantee that God's going to answer every request we have. All of our prayer requests come within the boundaries of the will of God. But that shouldn't keep us from asking for God to do big things. Pray boldly. And then finally, pray persistently. You know, Elijah prayed a 64-word prayer on Mount Carmel, and immediately the fire came down and consumed the sacrifices. Most people miss, though, that later on he was on top of Mount Carmel, and he had to pray seven times for the rain to come before the clouds appeared. Sometimes God answers our prayers dramatically and quickly. Sometimes it's after a long season of praying. But we don't give up on our praying till God absolutely shuts the door. You know, in Luke 18, 1, Luke says, Jesus told them a parable to show them how they ought to pray at all times and not become discouraged. Pray not only when the answer seems easy, but when the answer seems impossible. Don't just pray if the answer comes quickly. Pray and pray and pray until God says no. That's the key I think Elijah illustrates to unleash the secret of prayer. Robert, where do your ideas come from for books? Do they trigger off your preaching? Well, actually, it's just the opposite. I actually write my books first, and then I preach the series later. Mm. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll look at what I hear Christians are struggling with, uh, questions they're dealing with. Last year, I wrote my book, A Place Called Heaven. And it was, I mean, on the bestseller list every month for a year because people are fascinated with what God has for us on the other side of the grave. But I wrote Choosing the Extraordinary Life because most people I know, Pat, don't want to wait until they die (laughs) to experience God's blessing. And the good news is you don't have to wait until you die. God has a plan for your life right now, and it's truly extraordinary. Robert, a couple of weeks ago, I sat in my car for two straight sessions of your radio ministry as you preached on the topic that nobody preaches on hell and i was i was absolutely riveted Um, it, it takes it takes some courage to do that doesn't it on your part well, you know, I just don't understand people who think that they can just say, well, you know, I believe what Jesus says about heaven, but that hell stuff, I just don't go for it. Mm. I mean, how can you choose and select which part of Jesus' teachings you're going to follow? When you look at the scriptures, Jesus actually spent more time talking about hell than he did about heaven, because it really is a real place. And it's a place that the majority of humanity will spend eternity for not accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think we are derelict in our duties as preachers and as Christians if we don't warn people of the reality of hell. When did you realize you wanted to preach as a career? Well, you know, that is so funny. 
you ask that because uh, when I talked about uh, in the last segment the story, S-T-O-R-Y, the way to know God's plan for your life, uh, the T stands for talk to others. Many times God reveals his will to us through other people. And I remember when I was in the ninth grade, uh, I had no thought of being a preacher. I was going to go into television, be an executive producer, I thought, in television. I was always fascinated with behind the camera and broadcasting. But I was in a speech class. I had this tough old speech teacher, Miss Fry. She used to scare us to death. She'd stand up on her desk and yell at us to start speaking louder. And one day she said, Jeffress, I want to see you after class. I'm scared to death. And we sat down and she said, Jeffress, you're going to be a preacher one day. Mm. And that scares the bejeepers out of me because you could sell anybody anything. And, you know, she was the first person, Pat, who ever envisioned that I would be a preacher. Many years later, after I was already in the ministry, I got word that Miss Fry had died, mm. and she had stipulated in her will that she wanted me to conduct her service. Even back then, she knew I was going to be a pastor. She was the first person who ever envisioned that for wow. me. Wow. So listen to what others say. Who have been your key mentors, Robert? Yeah, God's given me two great mentors. One is my predecessor at First Baptist Dallas, Dr. W.A. Criswell. He was pastor of our church for 50 years. I grew up under his ministry, was saved, called to the ministry, all under Dr. Criswell's ministry. He taught me so much. And then my other mentor was Dr. Howard Hendricks, a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, who really taught me about communication and about discipleship. So Boy, I'm so grateful that these two men uh, took time to pour their lives into my life. And anything good at all that may have happened in my life is because of these two men. What did Dallas Seminary mean to you? You know, it was an interesting time when I went. I remember I was in, uh, after I surrendered to become a pastor, I went to Dr. Criswell and I said, Dr. Criswell, where should I go to seminary? At that time, all the Southern Baptist seminaries were moderate, liberal, denying the inspiration of the Scripture. And Mm. Dr. Griswold said, well, Robert, if you want to work in a Southern Baptist church, at some point you ought to go to a Southern Baptist seminary. But if you want to learn the Bible, you better go to Dallas Seminary. (laughs) And so I actually went to Dallas where I really had my confidence in the Scripture cemented. I had gone to Baylor University where the uh, liberal religion uh, pastors, had de- uh, teachers had denied the inspiration and energy of Scripture. I really had my faith shaken in college because of those liberal professors at Baylor. But God had in his plan for me to go from there to Dallas Seminary, where my faith was reaffirmed. So I'll always be grateful to Dallas for that. And I'm grateful now all of our Southern Baptist seminaries are under uh, uh, control of conservatives, and they are all Bible-believing schools now. Robert, this has been great. Uh, is fun the right word? I, I think... Yes. If you're going to have an extraordinary life, Pat, you've got to have fun. Well, we have just had 25 minutes of fun, Robert, and uh, <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, I'm a big fan of your book, so when the next one comes, you know, I'll devote two days and knock it out, and uh, we can... Well, ho- listen, you're my mentor in writing. I've never seen somebody turn out books like you do, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Robert Jeffries has been our guest. we got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word.
Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-942-4730. 800-942-4730. That's 800-942-4730. On the next Uncontainable Podcast, have we got some necessary truth for you. Kevin McCullough, will you join us? Dr. Ed Young, Dr. Greg Laurie, and Jeff Shreve all tackle the very, very tough topic of why suffering happens to people. There's a variety of reasons and a variety of responses that we might be tempted to pursue. But what's the right one? Next time on Uncontainable at ChristianRadio.com and this station's website. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Dr. Robert Jeffries, our guest in the first segment, talking about his book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. Donna Gibbs uh, joins us from Henderson, North Carolina. Uh, We're going to talk about her book, Silencing Insecurity, Believing God's Truth About You. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Pat. Why was it important... Uh, to write this book? Why is this topic compelling to you? Uh, Well, I'm a professional Christian counselor. I've been counseling for 20 years, and obviously a lot of my time has been spent with women. And I have just come to a conclusion over the years that insecurities, that is the prevailing issue for females. I believe it's the number one stumbling block for females in America. And so if there are some things that can help bring some freedom in the counseling session, then there are some things that can bring freedom on a larger scale to reach more women and just to help uh, bring some freedom from the oppression of that. Why is it such a problem? There's a lot of contributing factors. Uh, you know, social media has probably taken that to a brand new level. Um, but there's so many different things that we encounter in life and comparisons are a huge tool of that. We get caught up in our appearances or in successes or failures or the approval or rejection of certain people in our life. And we all have life experiences, some good experiences, some quite traumatic experiences. And the insecurity becomes a problem when we attach to any of those things that I just listed. 
And we're all vulnerable to that. All of us are. Um, and so then it becomes a problem. And when it really takes hold, it can create some messes. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's spend a little more time on what you call identity thieves. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, appearance and comparisons. Uh, expand on that a little bit. Okay. So you know, basically that's just the, the tool of comparison that particularly for a female, she's watching other females or other commercials or uh, you know TV shows or what have you to give her an indication of how she's supposed to look. And oftentimes her conclusion is, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Mm. Uh, and and I, I giggle as I think about this. It's really not funny. But, you know, I think about the very first doll that we give many of our young girls, a Barbie doll. And, Pat, I don't know if you've seen this research, but I stumbled on some research that a university student did where she took a Barbie doll and calculated if she were life-size proportions, what would she actually be? And the conclusion was that she'd be five foot nine, which that's not that outlandish. That's my height. Uh, but she would then the rest of the the rest of the dimensions are, are rather outlandish. She'd have a thirty nine inch bust, an eighteen inch waist, <laughs> 30, 33 inch hips, and a size three shoe. So she wouldn't even be able to menstruate. In fact, she wouldn't even be able to walk on just two feet. She'd have to walk on all fours. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, it's kind of a silly thing, but that is what we give our young girls. And it sends that message, here's, here's who you're supposed to be. And it's impossible. It, it's impossible to be that. Second identity thief, success and failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've all heard some of these terms, overachiever, underachiever, the end of grade tests, which create all kinds of stress for students, you know, academically gifted, the bench warmer, uh, the GPA, IQ, loser, winner, whatever. We have these, these terms for it. We all experience some successes in life, and we all experience some failures in life. It's not the success or the failure that is the stumbling block, it's our attachment to that, that when that success is our identity, that sets us up for danger. Or when that failure becomes our identity, that sets us up for danger. Now tell us about approval and rejection. Okay. So when I think of this one, I always think of, you know, in elementary school, the little kids that would pass around that note, do you like me, check yes or no, or maybe. <laughs> but there's, there's typically some particular people in our life that we really desire that approval from. And we all experience rejection. We all experience the pain at some point in life of people who reject us, who disappoint us. Um, even, even in the prison system, we think about the use of solitary confinement. That isolation is designed as a punishment. It's a psychological torture. And so our relationship with other people has a huge influence. And once again, it's not the actual approval or rejection that is the significance. It is our attachment to that. That if this person approves of me, then this defines my identity. Or if this person rejects me, then that defines my identity. Uh, Donna Gibbs is our guest, Christian counselor, <clears throat> author of Silencing Insecurity. 
Uh, the next identity thief I want you to explain to us, life experiences and trauma, Donna. Yeah, this one is a, a tricky one here because we all do experience tough circumstances of life. You know, the last book that I wrote was called Becoming Resilient, How to Move Through Suffering and Come Back Stronger. And the reality is we all face some really hard points in our life and, and really traumatic experiences. And this this particular book um, regarding insecurities is is directed towards women because it's a predominant struggle for women, but it's not exclusive to women. But when I think about even your listeners, Pat, if I'm just looking at the statistics, then half of the female listeners who are listening to our conversation right now have some history of childhood molestation or sexual abuse or something like that that could take a charge against them. And if it's allowed to take a charge, then the message, when we attach ourselves to that, the message becomes you're deserving of that, you're unworthy, you're dirty. And so the key is that we don't attach ourselves to an experience or an event of life, that we make a distinguishing factor between an event and our identity because we're all going to experience really great things in life and we're all going to experience some really tough things. The fifth identity thief is called roles and responsibilities. What's that mean? So those would be things like a, what I call a temporary task or a, a duty. And so for a, a mom, it might be mothering her children and raising them up. Um, it might be your job. It, it might be the, the role as a son or a daughter. Um, and so oftentimes we will, again, not on purpose, it just kind of happens that we attach ourselves to a role. Maybe it's our career. Uh, maybe it is our parenting and then we realize that it's a problem when maybe we're laid off and we go through a crisis or we have the empty nest and those children, that season is done and they move out and we're anxious and don't know what is next. Um, and it opens up the, the point of an identity crisis. And now, Roles change, <clears throat> you know? Yes. And here's the uh, sixth thief, background and origin. Tell us about that. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is important, some of the things that I've already mentioned, you know, we can kind of see where we could attach ourselves to those. But our identity can be hijacked by anything, even things that are totally out of our control. Things like innate personal characteristics. It could be the color of my skin, my height, uh, where I was born, whether I was adopted or not. The circumstances of my family, was there a divorce or a single parent or what have you, um, any of these things can leave us vulnerable to insecurities if we overly attach. And now <clears throat> I want you to talk about the final identity thief. Who is the chief thief? Question mark. Right. And that enemy, we call him oftentimes as Satan. Um, if you are a child of God, we know that he hates God. 
And if you're a child of God, he hates you. He cannot steal your worth if you're a child of God, but he can steal your perception of your worth. And what is that old phrase, perception and reality? So sometimes we can live a whole lifetime in that perception that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we're inadequate. Um, so he, he focuses on that perception. So he wreaks havoc through an illusion. Um, but I'm reminded, you know, in Matthew 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness where Satan tempted him. And I reflect back on how did Jesus stand against Satan, that chief thief. And Jesus just used the Word of God, and he spoke back specific truths that addressed whatever that temptation was. And that's all that he did. He didn't hang out in that conversation with him. It was as if he, he spoke back the truth, and then it's like he said, conversation over. And he spoke back the truth again, and conversation over. Because we get in a dangerous place when we try to dialogue too much with the enemy. He only needs a crack in the door. My guest <clears throat> in explaining all of these details is Donna Gibbs, Silencing Insecurity. Uh, Donna, we've moved to part two, Unnecessary Problems. And the first one you write about is simply called Mental. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. tell us here? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in counseling, I say often that we all have this ongoing conversation in our minds, and we all do. I call it the most important conversation that no one ever hears. And so we have this ongoing dialogue. And one of the unnecessary problems born out of insecurities is that we have a dialogue that is quite destructive. It's negative and it's repetitive. And and so the repetition of negative thoughts, we call those ruminations. And they end up looking like all or nothing thinking, false guilt, catastrophic thinking, we'll have self-doubt, comparisons, we'll be preoccupied with ourselves. Um, It'll almost like self-absorbed, but not in an arrogant way, but the opposite way, but just so focused on our own insecurities. Uh, And so in that mental piece, I think about what would be the impact of a young child when they were learning the multiplication tables and they learned that two times two equals five. And they repeated that over and over and over again. And they used the little flashcards, and they repeated it, and they meditated on it. And then they spent forever knowing that two times two equals five. But it was wrong. Mm. And so it creates unnecessary problems. And that's what insecurities do in us when we have a thought pattern that is based on lies. And it creates all kinds of issues. Donna, the next problem I want you to talk about is emotional. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of my females who use the term hot mess mm. <laughs> when they talk about this. Because what, what, what happens is that our thoughts lead to our emotions, which then lead to our behaviors. But for this piece of the discussion, our thoughts, if our thoughts are negative and destructive and they're based on lies or accusations that charge the enemy makes against us, then naturally that will influence our emotional well-being. And insecurities are a promise for emotional instability. It absolutely will create emotional instability. 
So those emotional complications may be things like anger, anxiety, um, a hypersensitivity emotionally, feeling shame, being stuck with bitterness, um, that hot mess. Let's go to the next issue here, relational. So this one, I think it depends on how severe the insecurities are. Mild insecurities might only have mild effects on relationships, but major insecurities, if you are thoroughly believing lies about yourself and it's affecting your emotional well-being, it will impact how you respond in relationships. And it can create this neediness where you depend on other people to validate your identity or you fear their abandonment where it could create a codependency where you feel like you must be a hero to someone else and that that is where your validation or significance would come from. It could create jealousy, just a toxic, even could be a potentially dangerous kind of jealousy. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, it could create an isolation from relationships that I, I'm not worthy to be in those relationships. Donna Gibbs is our guest. We're back with Donna right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem, end all collections, and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll, taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-813-1105. 800-813-1105. That's 800-813-1105. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. A new trend is in the air. Affordable private air travel to the most popular Florida destinations. Trend Airways is here, where one low monthly membership fee gets you where you want to go fast. Trend Airways offers an unlimited membership that empowers your travel simply, elegantly to Florida's most popular destinations. Just pay one monthly fee, then fly as many times as you like in their network. Go online to iFlyTrend.com or call 407-374-FLY1. That's 407-374, the word fly, the number one. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. 
Donna Gibbs is our guest from Henderson, North Carolina. Her book, Silencing Insecurity. Uh, Donna, we're talking about unnecessary problems, and we've arrived at this problem. It's called developmental. Uh, Tell us more about that. So when we talk about development, there's child development, adolescent development, adult development, even spiritual development, that insecurities can impact even just our life development in general, and also our spiritual development. Um, But I use the term, and, and, and when we talk about addictions, for instance, we use the term arrested development, that from the point a drug enters your life, it arrests your development, it stalls it, it halts it. But as soon as that drug is removed, then you can begin developing again. And so we think of insecurity as that drug that can stall, can stall your development. But arrested means temporary. And so that means as we begin to heal our sense of who we are and our belief, our agreement with God about that, then we can continue to move along in normal development and talk a lot about the complexities of that in the book. And then <clears throat> I want you to do one more here. Uh, on mm-hmm. unnecessary problems. It's simply called Sarah, S-A-R-A-I. Uh, mm-hmm. tell, tell us more. Okay. So Sarah is just an example of how the messes can look. <laughs> you know, Sarah was a woman who wrestled with infertility in a society that measured her worth by her fertility. And so I imagine that she would have had thoughts of unworthiness, that it may, it may have led to anxiety, panic, depression, that emotional response. And then there's a behavioral response. And she decided she was going to resolve her identity crisis in her own means. And so then there was this set up with Abraham, Hagar, and there was a lot of mess that came out of that. She made a bad situation worse because she was believing lies about her identity, and it created this trickle effect of unnecessary problems. Now, we know that's not the end of Sarah's story. We go, you know, certainly go into Scripture. You can learn a whole lot more about that, and I talk about the remainder of that as well in the book. But the, she's a good example of how it can make a mess. Donna, we move to your third part called mm-hmm. The Unnecessary Secret. And uh, the first topic I want you to explain is simply called audience of one. What does that mean? What's that mean? So you're in professional sports, so we're not talking about basketball here, but Carson Wentz, you know, quarterback with Philadelphia Eagles, um, he coined that phrase AO1, audience of one. Um, It basically just means to all your eggs in one basket. And when it comes to who we are, We must have an audience of one. All the eggs must be in one basket, and there's one voice that we pay attention to, um, that that we choose to agree with who God is, and we listen to who he says we are, and we attach to that. We don't attach to those other things that we've talked about, those thieves. We attach to who he says we are, and I'll give us a few examples of that. This is who he says you are. If you are one of his children, he says that you are free that you are chosen, that you are adopted, a new creature in Christ, that you are his masterpiece. That one is my favorite. That you are cared for, that you are complete in Christ, that you are loved, 
that you are forgiven, that you are bought with a price, that you are holy and blameless. He has a whole lot more to say than that. But imagine if you shift all of your focus, that audience of one, all your eggs in one basket, and you zone in on who he says you are, and you make that your attachment. Donna, now tell us about formula for wholeness. So I use the word formula, but it's not really as simple as a formula. And I also want to just clarify that the word freedom, like freedom from insecurity, and the word wholeness, those are relative words. This side of heaven, we we won't experience that in utter completeness, this side of heaven. But I think that there's a whole lot more freedom accessible to us than we take hold of. And so that formula, it, it looks really more like building blocks. And it starts with a submission of our thoughts. We reference those destructive thoughts. That is where it starts, that we must submit our thoughts. The reality is, and I don't mean to be offensive in saying this, but it's true. We don't even have the right to our own thoughts those destructive thoughts that we think about ourselves. We don't have the right to those. And so the beginning of this process of wholeness is submitting our thoughts. And then the rest of this is kind of like a trickle effect. We know our thoughts lead to our emotions, which we've talked about. So there's an automatic relay of a stability in our emotions at that point. And then that leads to stability in our behaviors. But it's not making the messes that it was making before. There's purpose in our action. And the result of all of that combined together is freedom from insecurity. Donna Gibbs, author of Silencing Insecurity, is with us. (coughs) Donna, tell me about a transformation in dependence. Yeah, so, you know, we talk about what's freedom from insecurity, and those are great words, but really what does that look like? And so the transformation would look kind of like this, um, that I can accept my strengths and that I can accept my weaknesses, absent of comparisons, that I can also admire the strengths of someone else without comparing and getting a message that that automatically means that it's a weak and that I have some inferiority compared to that other person. A transformation allows us to edify and encourage other people. It allows us to take care of our bodies and our appearance without an obsession. It can give us a boldness in situations rather than a timidity where we feel like we have to cower down. It also can give us a humility, though, where we're not preoccupied with ourselves and who we are. It'll give us a teachable spirit, healthier relationships, healthier emotions, and an eternal perspective. And I think of Paul as a great example of that. He was a purpose chaser, and every characteristic that I just mentioned described Paul. He could have been one held back by shame. He had had quite a rough history. He could have been held back by that, but he held on to who he was, that audience of one, and it freed him from the insecurity. And now I want you to explain freedom from insecurity, a biblical example. Right. So Paul certainly is one of those examples. Uh, But another example where I think a lot of your female listeners 
would relate to is Esther. Um, and, you know, when we think Queen Esther, we think, well, okay, well, she was royalty. Of course she was secure. But there was a whole lot more to Esther than just Queen Esther. She had a lot of things fighting for her identity, good things, bad things, circumstances of life. We know that she was orphaned. We know that there were numerous times she was taken captive. Even this whole competition to get to the king, it was like a sex trafficking situation in which she was taken captive against her will. It says she was also taken. So many of the things that can capture our identity were things that she wrestled with as well. But she never allowed her identity to be attached to anything temporary in her life. She relied on that audience of one that we talked about. And as a result of that, it trickled down to healthy thoughts, which trickled down to stable emotions. She was teachable. How many times did she rely on Mordecai? Uh, She had others surrounding her, and she did what they told her to do and advised her to do. She had others who fasted with her. She was humble. She had healthy relationships. And I think in terms of that relationship with the king, which was just a difficult, arrogant man, I think she made that as healthy as it could possibly have been given the circumstance. Donna Gibbs has been our guest. Her book, Silencing Insecurity. We've got a wrap-up, folks, right after this. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 